Ozer Yisrael Bigvura. Hashem girds or belts Israel with power, with strength, and with might. And we talked about an approach of Hashem acting upon us. In particular, we spoke about that because unfortunately that was the reality that we've been experiencing and worrying about lately. Um, Hashem acting on us with his gavura, and that he, in doing so, is belting us, is girding Israel to him. And we talked about the Pasuk in Yirmiyahu. Hashem says, as a man, I don't, didn't open the Pasuk in front of me, as a man girds kasher yidwa ka'ezor el masne ish, just as a belt is stuck tightly to the waist of a person, kein hidbak the Elias kol beis Yisrael, I have I have stuck tightly to me the whole house of Israel is kol beis Yehuda, and the whole house of Judah. Neum Hashem. So says Hashem. Lios lila amul shemulu sehila ulusiferes, to be for me a nation and a reputation and praise and glory. Filoshamo yet they have not listened. So that was one aspect that we spoke about. We spoke about. Well, let's let's take another approach. Ozer Yisrael Bigvura, and I think this is closer to the, the normal pshat, like if you're only thinking one thing, is Hashem belts us with gvura, meaning he puts upon us a belt of strength, or the more like normal way to say that. He gives us strength, and we would describe that process of Hashem giving us strength or might or power as belting. Okay, so what is that, like how does that play out? And I think that's closer to like the natural pshat of the, of the bracha, right? Because it's, the Gemara said, when you put on your belt or your sash or button your top button, whatever that is, right? So it's putting on the belt and we're saying thank you Hashem for strengthening us, for giving us strength, and that's a belting process. So what is, what is this about? Um, we spoke back many, many moons ago about Yosef with Matir Asurim. And we spoke about the idea that getting control over the Eight Sahara requires a leap into the world of the supernatural. Now, when I first heard that idea, I found that very discouraging. Because if what it takes is something supernatural to beat the Yitzhahara, so like, what's the hope? But the truth is, it is, it does require the supernatural. It is supernatural. But that's within reach at all times. But it is still a leap. So it was in a literal sense when we looked at the stack of where different ways of serving Hashem relate to the different worlds and the different ways that Hashem's bracha comes to the <coughs> world in that four-row... Uh, this is actually maybe from that class. This is from that class. Okay, so we have the world of Atzilus and the world of Bria and the world of Yitzir and the world of Asiya and understanding that we don't really understand what these things are. Not even the world of Asiya, which is the part that we can see and live and touch and, and smell, right? And here... We still don't really fully understand that, let alone any of the spiritual worlds, right? But we can understand certain concepts around it. And there's a reason why the Mephorshim and there's a reason why the Chazal have saw fit to describe Hashem's bracha coming down from above and trickling down to below and being delivered to us in accordance with this pattern because there's something we can learn from it and that we can use from it. 
And that's also how we relate upward toward Hashem. And this, yeah, sure. And I have like five or ten of them if anyone else wants one. Okay. Anyone want? Pass them down. Okay, just a couple more. And I'll be happy to give this one too as soon as I get it out of my hand. Okay. So when we're working at the bottom level, at the level of Asiya, Asiya is that which is actualized. It is made. It is done. Okay, so that's the, the bottom level. But when we are interacting with the world and with Hashem at this level, that's with our body. Okay, we could, that makes sense. We could hear that, right? There's, all of this is way beyond our ken. But to the extent that we talk about it, so we're going to talk about that which is, which is, in fact, like logical and systematic so that we can make use of it in a way that will help us to develop. The next level up, which is the world of Yitzira, that's the world of formation. So where that which is pure potential becomes formed into the shape it will take. At the level of Asiya, now it's locked down into that shape. At the level of Yitzira, it's formed into it, like the potter who takes the clay and makes it into the shape of the vase, but hasn't fired it. It could be changed, it could be shifted, it could be tweaked, Mm -hmm. but essentially, we've made the shape of it, and the normal expectation is that the shape that something takes in Yitzira, all else being equal, that's the shape it's going to look like in, Yitzhi, in, in Asiya, okay? It's not going to look identical because the way things look in the world of Yitzhi is not the way things look in the world of Asiya. But that the form that it took will be the form that will play out here, okay? That, that dark bar across is the barrier between the physical world and the spiritual world, okay? Even the world of Yitzhi, which includes things like natural forces. It, it is natural forces, climate. All right, rain, like uh, maybe not rain, other aspects of climate and wind. It's a cold year, it's a warm year. You can look at that, you could predict that there's patterns with it. It includes the mazalos, okay? So the astrological signs and patterns that have influence over the earth, but they don't, it's not their own influence. Rabbi Tatz, I think, I think it was Rabbi Tatz who describes this like a colander you know the, the old-fashioned colanders, especially, where it's stainless steel, and it had perforations. I know my grandmother had one, and it had perforations that were like Jewish star shapes. Do you remember these, the colanders mm-hmm. with the mm-hmm. shapes, right? Mm-hmm. So you pour the pasta in with the water, and all the water flows out. So imagine you're looking at this colander from above. The water's not so hot. Where's the water going to fall? In accordance with the shape that's punched in. Okay, so you could change where you're standing underneath it to get under that flow or to get out of that flow. Alternatively, you could change where, that, where the holes are lined up, okay? And then it will also change what it flows down to without any change down below. Hashem always has control over that colander. The holes punched into these different patterns, that's the mazalos. The word mazal means flowing. Like nozel is to flow, okay. Um, that that is the pattern in which the shape that God's chesed is going to flow into the world. If a person's in a dry spot, they might want to change where they're standing, right? But we can always dive into Hashem. It's not that it's preordained and unchangeable. It's not that the stars have power. The stars have been placed as a delivery channel system. They're the delivery service. So Hashem sends things and they flow through and that's how they come to the world under his control. 
with the Jewish people, we say we're not governed by mazel. That means you say to Hashem, I need this, please help me. He sends it. He'll line up the channel, it'll come to you, right? Very rarely does it come to you directly from Bria where you see like, bam, total change of nature. Usually what you see is an unusual or unexpected natural outcome. Or maybe even a natural outcome. You just weren't so sure how it was going to play out, right? So Hashem will he'll fix the mazel. Like, don't worry about it. We don't worry about mazel. That's not, that's not such a healthy thing. Much better for us to get tapped into just talking to Hashem directly, have a relationship with Him directly. Don't worry about mazels. It's not because nothing's affected by mazel. Yeah, sure, because everything passes through that level of the world on its way here, right? But that doesn't worry me. It's not a problem. That's the way Hashem created the world. Most things come to us through a natural system of some sort, right? If it's very unexpected, we say, wow, that was really miraculous. Even though a cynic would look and say, well, what was your miracle? Like, yeah, it just happened to be that somebody left at exactly that time, and you got there exactly that time, and so, right? And yet we have this experience where, like, yeah, because it's Hashem's hand acting on us, and that's through the natural means, and that's, that's the way the world is, and that's how it should be, basically. But not, not all the time is open miracles that somehow bypassing that other system entirely. Okay, and then we move up into the supernatural world. So when we're, interact, sorry, when we're interacting with the world of Yitzhak from our point of view, when we are relating to Hashem and building toward Him, hi, good morning, from, from the level of Yitzhak, so for us, that's our nefesh, that's our physical vitality, it's that which animates our life. That's our physical energy. That's our emotional energy. So when we relate to Hashem through emotions, that often will be, let's say, with song. Okay? Song is really good at recruiting emotions to get to a certain place or amplifying emotions in a certain place. And you can have that feeling of closeness and you can help allow that to bring you up towards Hashem it's worth realizing that that's not necessarily your, your deepest inner soul. I hate to say it, like I hate to shatter people's feelings. You know, maybe I should be more careful about it. What do you mean? Yeah, maybe I should be more careful, right? You're sitting around the campfire and it's dark and the lights are flickering and you've all been on like a 30 mile hike so you're very bonded and everyone's kind of swaying and singing and you feel uplifted and people say, Oh, it's like it's it, I, in a state of Tavakis. I'm like very close. Like that's your emotions. That's not your deepest neshama. I, <laughs> I was uh, I heard somebody speak. She was an excellent, excellent speaker on many levels. But I'm a little bit of a stickler for like trying to say what's true. You know, um, she's really excellent. But she was talking about like people's neshama and how it is reacting to fashion and the importance and I'm sitting in the back going no I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure that our relationship to Hashem at the deepest expression of neshama is not actually the clothing or the emotional gut reaction an emotional gut reaction is emotional it's not physical but that doesn't make it neshama mm-hmm. okay so is that it's not bad we have to recruit this. It's on the way. You have to build this building from the bottom up. You can't say, I'll go from here to here. I'll go from here to here. You, gotta, you actually need all the levels. God gave us emotions for a reason. And one of the main reason is to be able to recruit them toward him and toward elevating ourselves and becoming greater people. Okay? So we need this. 
It's just a mistake to think that this was the end result. If you stop here, it's not enough. It's, it's really not. It's great. Enjoy it and savor it and try and replicate it because it's powerful, right? It's your, it's your motor. It's the engine in your car. Your emotions are how you get driven so you can do stuff. But up here, at the level of Bria, which is the level of the creation of the matter, the clay, which will take shape, that's seichel. That's the mind. That's choice. The choice is the steering wheel. The emotions are the motor. Okay? So just the fact that you're in control of the steering wheel, if your engine's not running, you're not getting anywhere. But to let an engine run without a steering wheel is pretty dangerous stuff. What'd you say? To let your engine run without a steering wheel or without your hands on the wheel is really, really dangerous. I mean, our cars, at least, have something that will recenter them. So you'll go basically straight, whether or not, is it, whether or not straight is safe in your condition, right? Depending where your position, straight is not either such a great idea. Just keep going straight. But, okay, so it's very dangerous. You do have to have your hands on the steering wheel. That's Seichel. That Seichel is in the world of the supernatural. It's not the world of the natural. It's in the world of the supernatural. This is part of the supernatural world, Got not it. the it's natural world. Animals don't have Seichel. They don't have oh. free will, right? An animal cannot say something is sentient. Something really doesn't uh, feel good. It smells bad. It, it's uncomfortable. But nonetheless, um, over the long term, this is a better decision for me. If I keep at this long enough, I'll adjust to it, and I'll be a finer animal. Like, that's not how they're programmed. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's not how they're programmed. It's a, it's a supernatural function. It's described as the crowning glory of the Jewish people, which we'll see in the next bracha, Oter Yisrael B'Sifara. It's very, very tied to free will and the ability to make choices, to be able to say, you know, when you're under terrible, terrible stress or un in a lot of pain, to be able to choose, to be able to say, I, like, I don't even know what God wants from me right now, but I know that I still have a mind. Like, my mind is not shut off completely. I'm not just an emotional wreck. I, all I feel is emotional wreck, but I can still choose to be polite to the person who I'm standing and talking to. Like, there's the ability to make a choice. My mind can still function, even under stress. That is not natural. It's not. So that's an example of what we're talking about, where we say that our ability to choose, yes, it is supernatural. It's part of God breathing the soul into man is the ability to choose. It's what distinguishes us from animals. Why is that important? Because whenever we know that we have a purpose, that's a different purpose from everything else. It's not replicated. By the way, I cannot fulfill the purpose of a lion. Oh, well. That's the way it goes, right? But I can fulfill the purpose of a human. I can't fulfill the purpose of a malach. Tough on me, right? But maybe instead of worrying about that, I could wor worry about like, how I do as a person, right? And that applies across people. 
None of us is exactly the same as anyone else. It is in the fact that we are different and in the fact that we are unique that is our strength. Okay? You don't, you don't look at other people and say, oh, he's so much better than me, so therefore I'm worthless. That doesn't make sense. If God wanted two of them, he would just like, you know, we could all reproduce like paramecium. Right? No need men and women. It's like a, like a unicellular amoeba, amoeba thing, right? Yeah. Amoeba's not really paramecium. Oh, no, yeah. sorry. Right, unicellular <laughs> organisms, right? Okay, so the time comes, we need more of you. You eat a little more, you swell up a little more, and you split in half, and now there's two. Exactly the same, same, gen- same genetic material, everything's the same, same cells. Okay, and then there's four, and then there's eight, and then before you know it, the world is completely populated with sarolipins. You know, this would be a disaster. It would be horrible, right? Adam could have replicated that way. Why not? I mean, it sounds more or less how Chava came around. So why not? And by the way, when Chava came around, she was not a duplicate of Adam. Even then. (laughs) Even then. It's not a duplicate. Why? Because every one of us is a different window of light that's letting God's light into the world. It's a different window. It's a different angle. He wants this angle to come through. He wants this beam of light getting in. So I'm, I'm the channel for that. Not the mazel. Not that I'm also a channel of bracha into the world. I'm my, I'm my channel. Not somebody else's channel. It is the differences that is the strength. My difference is my strength. It's probably my weakness also. That's a different conversation. All right. Sorry, can I so, ask you a question? Yeah. It's completely not related to that. When you say we can't jump from here, this level, to this level. You have to go through the whole yeah. process. But my question is, again, it's not related. Mm. When you were davening, there's priorities, right? Like if you don't have time, mm-hmm. you go to some something that is ho- of higher value. So how do we justify for that? That you so can jump from... I'm not such... I'm not really expert in those halachos. Uh-huh. But generally speaking, what you do is narrow down. Overall, I mean, it depends. Like, if you really only have, like, two or three minutes, which can happen for women. Like, you could right. have years and years where, like, if you catch 60 seconds for dominating, that's, like, a big achievement, you know? Right. So it might just be down to one thing or two things. But if you have, let's say, 10 minutes to daven, probably what you'll see is that you have a little bit of a spectrum. Uh-huh. A, a little bit of this, a little bit of the next, a little bit of the next, a little bit of the next. That's not what I would say. It's halachic. Yeah, I don't know the halachos. I don't know the halachos. We could try and get a set of them, but I don't know. The, I don't. Let's say it right now. Like I don't know the halachos. And like I think for each person also, like you, almost, you really have to sit with a rav who knows the halacha and like work it out. And I mean, there are guidelines, but the guidelines are confusing to use. You have to sit there and figure out like how much time and. Really, you have to have someone who also understands who you are, or you, or you have to understand really well who, who you are, are. because okay. Lamaisa, it's better a smaller amount of davening with kavana than more without. That is a halachic principle. It's from the Shulchan Aruch. That one I happen to know. Okay, so how that implements, it really depends like on who you are and what you can focus on. And maybe you'll take on a little extra because you wanted to round it out properly. But that means all your davening is going to be weaker or it won't be sustainable. And in three months from now, you'll find you're not davening at all because it was a little bit too much. Right? Like, it's a very, yeah. it's a fine-tuning okay. act right. to be able to get, like, a, a rhythm to your tefillah that you can really, really sustain. And so you, you need, it's worthwhile to take, like, 20 minutes with a rav 
and say, okay, what should my priorities be? And help me build out a dominating plan so that I have like, this is what I say, this is my baseline. If I did this, I succeeded, I davened today. Maybe it's one bracha with a sitter, right? You know me, I'm like, I'm the fan, right? Cut it in <laughs> half, then cut that in half. So I can't say cut one bracha in half again, because like half a bracha, I'm not so sure, okay? But like, <laughs> right, okay, as small as is possible to know that no matter how sick you feel and how tired you are, and how it gets to be like 9 o'clock at night before you realize, oh my gosh, I didn't daven today, or, right, like we're not men, we're not in chill. Okay, we could like go easy on ourselves in some areas, but then how am I going to really sustain this? For sure, right? And then what will I add if I see I have more time or more inspiration? You know, you need like kind of both. You need like your basic structure, and then you can know like in what order would it be valuable to add things in. But generally, this is the structure. If you just jump straight into Shemona Esrei, it's really hard to get a proper Shemona Esrei that way. It's almost impossible. You'll see as we get, as we get through the different stages in davening, like now we're really focused on brachos, so it's really about looking at the physical world, seeing what is in our world, our tools, our resources, our abilities, our capacities, and using what is in the physical world and thanking Hashem for it and also dedicating it to Him. Okay, that's brachos. That's the physical world. But we haven't built past that yet, so we don't. We haven't seen yet how that brings us to the emotional level and how that brings us to the intellectual level. But really, that's what davening does. It actually holds our hands and takes us through these steps. We don't have to reinvent it every time. It's made for that, and it does it really well, especially if you realize that's what it's helping you to do, which is why we do this here, right? Okay. I, I want to move on because all of this was really just the fact that that ability to choose, that power of choice, is in the supernatural realm. Okay. It's a, an expression of Tselem Elohim and of humanity. It is particularly godly. What does it mean, Ozer Yisrael Bigvura? So if I want a definition of Gvura, of course my mind goes immediately to Pirkei Avos, Ezehu Gibor. What is the definition of a gibor? A gibor is someone who has or exhibits gevura, right? What is the definition of someone mighty? Hakovesh es yitzro, one who conquers his yitzer. So, why? I mean, really, somebody who's mighty. So, so, one way to approach this, I know Rabbi Goldberg often does. I remember him teaching this twenty something years ago, right? When I was just a young, newly married mom. Um, is, is comparative. You realize the definition cannot be a physical definition of kavura because if so, you're always going to find somebody who's stronger than you. And you're always going to be stronger than someone. All you have to do is change your location. You know, so go to kindergarten and you could feel like you're the strongest one. So that, what could be the definition of kavura? But I want to point out that there's also a positive definition of why this is the definition of kavura. Ezehu Gibor, who is mighty, Hakovish Yitzro, it's really hard. It takes real strength. This strength is strength in the level of choosing, in the level of the mind. The ability of the mind to conquer desire or any other emotional state, to say as much as that would feel like it would give me relief or as much as I feel despair and it doesn't seem like it matters what I do, that my mind still works and will be stronger than that, that's gvura. That's real power. 
And it is the expression of din. We talked about this in the last week or two, talking about gvura in terms of Hashem acting upon us with gvura as din. Gvura is justice. Right? Gvura is controlling the free-flowing desire to give and to do and giving it limits so that that giving and bracha grows up and takes a shape and a form and doesn't just flood and inundate. Right? We talked about it in terms of trying to understand when our own giving needs to have a boundary in order to give more completely. Right? That's gvura. The ability to say, it's not just about how I feel. And honestly, it's the difference between growing up and staying immature. It is frightening to me sometimes to look around and see people who, by their years, are adults. And by their choices, or lack of choices, are children, are infants. They're, they're emotionally or developmentally stunted. Yeah. That is terrifying. It's terrifying also because, at some point, life has surprises. And someone who is only going to go with what feels in the moment is not well equipped to cope with the surprises that life will throw at them. It is really a frightening thing. That gvura truly is a chesed to ourselves as well. To be able to say, you know what? No. Or sometimes we can't tell ourselves no, like that may be too much, maybe later, not now. Sometimes if you can get through the next two minutes, because emotions keep on changing anyway, right? Okay, so this is on the one hand supernatural, on the other hand it is within our reach, and it is a great kindness to ourselves to get in touch with that, a very great kindness. Our Bechira, hakol everything's in the hands of heaven except Yerushamayim, right? The decisions, the thinking process that says, God is watching me and I care what he thinks of me. That is the free will process, right? That this is right, this is wrong. How is this going to shape me? If I do do that, then what will I be, right? That kind of thinking, that's chutzmir shemaim. So you say like, so we have no control over anything, basically. Hakobi de shemaim, everything's in the hands of heaven. It's not in my hands. So you know what? It's true. There's very little we have control over, but it's everything. It's everything. To have your shemayim, to have the ability. Now, I think all of us like feel a little bit like, I don't know, your shemayim. That's like for like holy people. <laughs> like me? It's like, what, me? <laughs> your shemayim? Like, who am I kidding? Right? But we really do have a flavor of your shemayim. We do have a flavor that, let's say, starting with, how will I face myself if I allow myself to do that? If I can stop for a minute to self-reflect, to look at myself, how would I think about somebody else who did that? Well, how would I think about me? That is the beginning of a Yerushalayim. It's a recognition that there is an outside perspective on me. Right? And then to say, how, how will I face God? What will he think of me? Can I live with that? Some things it's not, you know, like, could you live with knowing that, like, but it's very hard. Right? It's a lot of pain. You can get past it. You can go up another level into tshuva. That's hard work. It's really easier to get it right the first time. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes the choice is, is the ability to hold ourselves back. That's the real power. Sometimes we're really not strong enough somehow to do what needs doing. But if we cannot do what shouldn't be done and hold back on it, we become powerful. It, honestly, you feel the power.
You just don't feel it until you do it. You don't have the gratification of feeling, yeah, I've got that power in me, when you hold back. It's only when you do hold back and you say, okay, this, this eating is out of control. I'm going to take a piece off and put it in the garbage. Maybe I'm still going to eat the rest of the donut, but this piece of it is coming off. There has got to be control here. This, I can't scream. I'm going to go in the other room. I'm going to lock the door, which is bad enough, right? And I'm going to close myself off, but at least I didn't scream at him. Whatever it is, right? I know I shouldn't. I know, and I'm going to get some handle on it, however small. Afterward, you're filled with a sense of power. You are. That you were able to do that. So, yes, is it our weakness that hakol bidei shamayim and not in our own hands, I suppose, but it's also our strength. It's tremendous, tremendous strength. Ozer Yisrael Bigvura. Now, we haven't, we haven't matched this up with why that would be described as a belt. But you start to realize that a belt doesn't just focus power, which is kind of where we took it so far, right? That the belt, sort of like a supporting belt even, right? It tightens up all the muscles at the core. And so it helps you focus and channel power, right, in the same way that having a restriction on the flow will help increase the power of that, let's say, the water flow through the hose, right? But a belt does not only focus a person's power. A belt is very interesting. It divides the top from the bottom. Your belt divides the top from the bottom. This is, in fact, the halachic concept, all right? And again, it ties into Ezehu Gibor, who is mighty, Hakovish Es Yitzro, the one who can get mastery and conquer his own inclination. So Yetzer means, actually, inclination. Okay, and that's why the example of it was Yosef. And that's who, who did do that. And what did he do? I mean, we saw he had to run out of the room. It was not, it wasn't like everything's fine and dandy, this is no problem. This was a big problem. The, to, to have been able to go running out of that room, he didn't stop to take his clothes. That's not a simple thing. I mean, it's not, not such, it seems it's not like, I'm embarrassed to say, yeah, but it is like right in the psukim, right? Like, that's a very, very hard thing to do. But it's also very instructive in terms of it's never too late to get a grip on the situation and on yourself. She helped. She says she grabbed his garments. I thought it was just a coat or something. Don't know. Don't know was enough that it was noticeable when he went outside, right? Uh-huh. But he went out. There's a lot of reasons. You could say he, he, didn't go, he didn't embarrass her, he didn't come back to think, whatever. She was very convincing, very persuasive, very intellectual, very knowledgeable, very spiritual, very attractive. It's never too late to say, no, I can't stop. All right. The Rambam <laughs> says... There are foods that are forbidden. And a person who is wise and conquers his inclination for those foods and doesn't allow himself to be pulled into them by his taiva, by his cravings, and doesn't eat those foods, unless it was medically necessary. That's his insertion, not mine. Hare ze gibor. That is a mighty warrior. It's pretty high praise from the Rambam. Okay. It's literally hakovish es yitzro. You know something is wrong for you 
and you're able to hold it back, that's gvura. That is power. Whoever, this is from Avos to Rabbi Nasan, whoever can conquer his Yetzer, it is considered as if he has conquered a city full of mighty warriors. Like, the, the Torah does not underestimate how hard this is. We tend to think that our battles are too puny to count. Right? We think that, like, somehow, yeah, okay, there's, like, mighty people who are dealing with mighty passions and mighty, but, like, me and my donuts, right? Or me and my food that probably really doesn't have anything trafe in it. Or me and my, it's a little flirtatious, but it's probably okay. Or, but I really like how it looks. It's so flattering. Or, I don't know, whatever it is we're coping with, right? Like, that doesn't count. But the Torah doesn't say that. The Torah, say, by saying Hakovish is Yitzro, one who can conquer his Yetzer, that's like every person's battles. And it isn't being compared to anybody else's battles. It's our own. That's as if you've conquered a whole city. That's a gibor. Maharal says, conquest doesn't prove a person's strength. Conquering somebody else doesn't prove you're strong. Why? Because you could conquer them, and it could be because they're weak. Or you caught them on a, on a bad day, so you got lucky, right? If you can conquer yourself, you know you're truly matched. <laughs> okay? That, it's an interesting insight, yeah? When you're matched against yourself, and you can conquer yourself. Now, remember what I said before, right? This is Rabbi Orlowick's comparison, that the emotional level, that's like the motor. And the steering wheel is the bechira, is the choice. Which one's stronger? The motor's much stronger. The power that the steering wheel puts into the system is minimal. But it's that it guides it, and it turns it, and it deflects it, Right? Okay. The Rambam also says, in talking about, like, what it takes for a person to be a Navi. A Navi has to be gadol b'chachma, great in wisdom, gibor b'midosa, and powerful, mighty, in his midos, in his personality. V'lo yehe yitzro misgaber alav. And he can't be a person who allows his inclinations, his passions, that which appeals to him, that which speaks to him, to have power over him. Not about anything. Not in any area. Elohum is gaber bedaito. He has to use his mind to have control over his yetzer always. This may be expressive of why we don't have so much nivua now. It's also expressive of why when did we lose Navua? We lost Navua when the Anche Knesset Hagdola were able to be Mevatel, a piece of Yetzirah. That Yetzirah for Avodazara, that really craves Avodazara, when that was lost, also the Navua was lost. There was a spiritual capacity that when it was blunted, was blunted <coughs> both toward the negative and toward the positive. You can, okay. What, Maybe this sheds a little light on that, right? Could be. In other words, that conquering of that Yetzirah leads to the gvura necessary to be a Navi. To the character, the strength of character to be a Navi requires being able to also conquer that strength of Taiva. We don't deal with that strength of Taiva. We also don't reach the same heights. But it's good. It's fine. This is cool. 
It's very cool. <laughs> We're very happy. Anche Knesakadola, thank you. This was a very good move for us. I saw it wasn't going. Okay. Yeah. But that's a high price we pay. Sure. It's a very, very high price we pay. So we find throughout, and we will see over and over again, it's not, we're not, um, the Yetzirah is not our enemy per se. But we need to battle it. We do have to be the one in charge. But ultimately, you know, with all of your hearts, what's your hearts? Because I'll say, it's your Yetzirah and your Yetzirah, both. you got two hearts. you got two sets of emotional cravings going on for that which is constructive and productive and builds you a desire to be close to Hashem, a desire to be greater than who you are. And you've got cravings that aren't in the same direction, that are self-destructive. And yet you desire them anyway. That's a Yetzirah. But that can be recruited into a Vodas Hashem and should be. We were created with it. It's not our fault we've got a Yetzirah. I mean, maybe sort of it is. <laughs> but, but even so, it was clearly meant to be, right? Everything was set up and God in to get that Yetzirah into us. So we're supposed to use that. That's part of who we are. We're not Malachim. That's okay. There's a gvura that comes of conquering the Yetzirah, of holding it in, of restraining it. That's a gvura. That's how we achieve greatness. That's a very good thing. And it's an exciting thing. And, you know, to paraphrase a non-Jewish source expressing something in a good way, it's a lot easier to say no to something when you've got a burning yes within. Mm-hmm. Okay? It is such a good summation. Oh, you know, that's really from, more from business practice. But Lamaisa to be the gibor when you realize I want to be a gibor I want to be greater I want to be a more powerful effective person I want to have greater capacity I want to be somewhere in a more spiritual life I mean you've heard me talk before right I'm not exactly like floaty spiritual type of person that doesn't mean I don't want spirituality I just don't define it that way because a lot of times when I see that what I'm struck by is that's emotional. True spirituality, and I'm not saying this because it's what speaks to me, true spirituality is in the level of how we choose. What we choose in the moment. And you can see that it's true. Because yes, people can become very spiritual, very lofty people through the inspiration of their emotions and feeling feeling calm or inspired, they can. They can also become very, very low, even though they're constantly talking about spirituality and wearing very spiritual clothes and singing very spiritual songs. And yet you look at their actual life and it is depraved. Mm So it's not the emotions that define the spirituality. It is the choices. So even someone who's like very, very, you know, (laughs) practical, hands-on, show me how it works, I could also have spirituality. And it will feel like spirituality and power and maybe not greatness, but greaterness. I could have 
greaterness. I could be greater than I am. I realize it must be true because I'm alive. It must be there's potential for me to be something greater than who I am now. This is, this is my way. This is somebody opened a door for me. That's exciting. Ezehu Gibor HaKovesh Yitro is exciting. And it's much easier to say no when there's a burning yes, when I realize from where I'm standing before the decision, and maybe even for a while after, I'm not sure I'm going to feel that I achieved Gvura. It could be. It could be I will be overwhelmed by the emotional state of the desiring and of the wanting. No, thank you for doing that. <laughs> of the desire to, to do what's right and the, or the desire for the thing that I really shouldn't have had that feels like it would fulfill me. People are, you know, we don't only always crave things that are fully obviously bad. They might be obviously bad from the other side from the outside, someone looking at us. But how many people have affairs because what they crave is a feeling of being loved or understanding? It's not always, excuse me for the crass topic, but it's not necessarily always about just physical desire. People go through their midlife crisis, they feel misunderstood. Maybe their spouse really is horrible. Maybe not so horrible, but maybe they are, right? In the end, it's the choice. It's about the choice, okay? And will it be painful at the beginning? Sometimes, yeah, sometimes not. Sometimes you make the choice and the relief. The relief is tremendous. You don't, what I'm saying is that the emotional state that comes with it and even following it cannot be the guide as to how we act. It can't, okay? There are ways that we are going to learn to recruit our emotions. We want to use them. They are the engine that keeps this project moving. If your emotional state is very blunted or very weak, you don't have motivation. Emotion is the motivation that gets it going. Okay? But when it's the wrong direction, then we don't use how I happen to feel about it as the guide for the decision. It's got to be a factor that will be accounted for in the decision, not the determinant. Letting your emotions be the deciding factor is catastrophic. It's catastrophic. But I thought, I knew, we don't have to go so far as like the really horrible, okay? Bad marriage choices. Everyone around knew this was a bad choice. But I thought he really loved me. Everyone could see he was taking advantage of you. But he said, why? Because I needed, I needed that feeling. So that, that drove me? That's how you decide? It's really horrible, the things that we do that way. With good intentions, forget the bad intentioned ones. Forget the selfish. In the end, decisions made according to feelings turn out selfish. They might come out well, they might not come out well, but ultimately they're selfish. And when you can't reach into that supernatural state of being selfless, or at least beyond yourself, able to to plan beyond yourself, you are seriously stunted. It's like you're growing and growing and growing, and this ceiling over you, that black line over you of nature, is, is pushing you down so that you can't grow up. 
I want to grow up. You know what? I do. I want to grow up. Is that going to sometimes be uncomfortable, maybe worse? It could be, but I'd still rather be a grown-up. And you know what? It gets me closer to Hashem, and it's so worth it. If you've ever had, like, really, really hard problems, probably everybody has, <laughs> right? And you've managed to grow up. You look back, and you're like, I wouldn't give that up for any money in the world. Do I want it again? No, no. Thank you. That was good. <laughs> We're good. Not again. I don't wish it on anyone and not on myself. Would I give it up? Would I trade it back? Not on your life. It really is bigger than that. It really is. Life in this world is only going to be so long anyway. Who I become will be forever. It's worth it. It's worth it to put that in. But that's So we have to find what is that burning yes in us of who we want to be. Maybe I don't even know what the vision is of what I'm going to be, but I know it's got to be more than this. That could be enough of a motivator to help. All right. Thank you. Oh gonna, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Went a little bit over time. Are you going to come tomorrow night? Probably not. Thank you. All right. So, Mirza Hashem, we'll continue into how this plays out with the belt, all right? Next week, Bezos Hashem. Um, back to my